Now, after you've done that, you've posted it, you've tagged everybody you want to tag, your, your mama and your grandma and everybody else, put it away. <laughs> the scriptures will come up on the screen, I promise. Today I want to preach under this title, The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And my aim in this service is to just elevate the Lamb of God. That's what I want to do today. Have you seen what's happening? You've seen the news, what's happening in Ukraine? I'm sure a number of us have read stories, maybe watched videos and, and different things. We know some, some of the missionaries there, and it's become becoming a grave situation. And so when you pray, pray for the missionaries, pray for believers in Ukraine, pray for the lost people in Ukraine that God would keep them. That's a, that's a tough, tough thing. You know, we get caught up in situations, not situations, issues, current issues like that. We have opinions about how issues should be resolved, what the best response should be. You know, if I was in control, I would do this or that. But you know, with all of the current issues, and there's always a current issue, not to minimize anything that's going on, but just to say there's always a current issue. When this gets resolved, there'll be some other current issue, something that has inflamed the sensibilities of humanity, and we have comments about and opinions about. But let us never forget that the great issue of human history is the matter of sin. The matter of sin. And sin is simply this. If you have a hard time wrapping your mind around what sin really is, you get into the weeds as you think about sin. I'm not talking about just the sins that are easy to pick out, but uh, sin is really missing the mark with God. It's missing the mark. It's behaving in a way that is outside the scope of God's will and purpose. It's, it's acting outside of the scope of God's will and purpose, but not just his will and purpose, but his will and purpose for your life. It's personal. It's personal. We like to think of sin as defined, thou shalt not, or thou shalt. While that is true, it's true. There are some thou shalt nots, and there are some thou shalts. It is also true that missing the mark is as simple as not doing God's will and purpose in your life. That can be missing the mark. And sin, this kind of sin, puts us at odds with God. It separates us from God. James put emphasis on the importance of leaning on and trusting God daily. And he gives such a strong rebuke to trying to plan your life through forecasting and planning what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day, that instead of seeking God's desire for right now, we try and plan what's coming. Now, how many of us will admit we've fallen to the trap? I like to have a plan. I like to know where I'm going, what I'm going to do. James says in James 4, 13 through 17, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. 
Doesn't sound like a bad plan. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. James is saying that if if you don't make God's will and purpose in your life, even daily life, finding what God desires for your life, what he wants you to do, you will sin. It will become sin for you. You don't have to murder. You don't have to steal. You don't have to covet. You don't have to rebel to sin. You can just simply miss the mark of the Lord's will for your life and it be a sin to you. Sin that separates us from God. Sin that separates us from one another. And sin is the issue of every day. It's the issue for every person. It's the issue of every one of us. Husbands, wives, children, parents, brothers, and sisters. Sin. From the outset of human failure, God has offered solution for sin. In Noah's day, it was to get into the ark. Get into the ark. The judgment is coming, but get into the ark and and be saved. It's an interesting thing about the ark, though. If you read the plans and you have all of the plans, it was a boat, but it was a boat with no rudder. God would control where it ended up. God would control the outcome. God would control the salvation of those inside the ark. Some of us need to take our hand off the rudder of our life and just trust God. If we're really going to trust God, we need to understand it's like the ark. He is the one controlling what happens and where it goes. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I I am letting God steer the boat. But you have anxiety about what's happening in your life. Maybe you need to put more trust in the captain. I can dismiss this right there. That's a sermon. You just take that home and chew on that for a while. There was no no rudder on the ark. It was in a way God was saying, you know what? Noah, when you come to rest, I'll have you in the place that I want you to be in. But right now, through all of the chaos and the storm and the confusion, you're going to trust me. And I'm going to take you and put you down where I want you to be. Abraham. God gave a solution for sin with Abraham. The solution was obedience, prompted by trust in God. Not knowing the end result, Abraham, Abram, abandoned all and put his faith in God to fulfill the promises that God had made to him. Whenever he did try and control it, we all know that didn't work out well for Abraham and his family. It became a stumbling block. It's trusting God to see you through, give you whatever promises he's made for you. Moses, the covenant of the law and knowing, experiencing human favor, fav- failure in the face of that law. 
Moses knew what it was to fail at the law. God's provision for that failure, for that sin, were specific sacrifices that addressed each sin as a matter. It was sacrifice because of sin. It was sin that was the overarching matter of human history. What am I saying? I'm saying this, if there were no sin, think about that for a moment. If there were no sin, there'd be no war happening right now. If there were no sin, let's make it personal. If there were no sin, there would be no poverty that we witness. If there were no sin, there would be no divorce. If there were no sin, there would be no abandoned children. If there were no sin, there would not be no child abuse. If there were no sin, there would not be people with wounded spirits sitting in this room today if there were no sin. But there is sin. And so for this particular service, I want to do something that is important. I want to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ because he has made a way where there was no way. He has made a way and satisfaction for sin. I want to preach to you about the Lamb of God. I want to preach to you about the Lamb defied, defined and the Lamb revealed and the Lamb exalted and the relevance of the Lamb. The Lamb. The Lamb. The Lamb. There is nothing as important as the lamb. A lamb was just simply this. It was marked by being a young sheep. But the biblical sense of lamb is very specific. It's not just young. It's not adolescent. It's even younger than that. It's a lamb that was one year, less than one year old, or a lamb without permanent teeth. So this lamb, this picture of innocence, this lamb that had not experienced much life one year, that was the lamb. But the lamb was revealed not to just be an animal, but it was revealed to be the lamb of God. John the Baptist on two separate days pointed out Jesus to his followers with this statement. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, John 1.29 and John 1.36. In John 1.29, he says it like this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day in John 1.36, he said it like this, Behold the Lamb of God. Immediately, Andrew and any other disciple that was within earshot, they heard this statement, but specifically the book of John says, Andrew and another disciple of John the Baptist began to follow Jesus. They left what they had known in order to follow the one that was the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. If we could mentally transport ourselves back to those days when John spoke those words that would impact Andrew's life and impact Peter's life and impact John's life and impact the lives of people that would come after, that would follow that one lamb, this is what we would know. The day that John had said those words, behold the lamb, there would have been on the highway just above them Droves of sheep and cattle being driven towards Jerusalem. All of those animals were preparation for one specific thing, the Passover week. A week of celebration, a week of 
sacrifices that celebrated the history of Israel. The thought of sacrifice was consciously present among everyone that was sitting in that audience that heard John say those words. There was example on the hill, and it was exampled in their life. And John the Baptist, knowing the ugliness of people's sin, he looks into the face of one in the audience, and he sees something that he had not seen in any other. And every other, as a prophet, he would look and he would see and he could see the marks of sin on their life. But his eyes drift and wander across the audience until they land on one, Jesus. One who is the fa final sacrifice for sin. The one that was God's perfect lamb. And pointing to Jesus, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The most deeply rooted image for Jews of all of the sacrificial connections, and there were a lot of sacrificial things, was to the Lamb that was at a Passover. Pharaoh had refused to let the people go from Egypt so there came the last terrible stroke of the hand of God on Egypt. The angel of the Lord was to walk throughout the land that night, slaying every firstborn son in every Egyptian home and in every other home that was not prepared for that angel. Every Jewish household was to take and kill a lamb, one of those lambs that was under a year old. They were to dip a branch of hyssop in the blood of the lamb and smear the blood upon the doorposts on either side of their home and then smear the blood across the lintel or the, the eave of the door, the post above. Knowing that this was going to save their lives, save the sons of their home, the firstborn son, that when the avenging angel would come through and would see the mark of blood. He would pass over that house, knowing that inside of that home was an obedient family, the people of God. They were hidden behind the blood of a lamb. Paul writes that Christ, our Passover, in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, he writes the Christ, our Passover, our Paschal lamb was sacrificed for us. The Passover lamb meant a symbol of deliverance being remembered. It was the last sacrifice the Israelites offered while in bondage. It would become part of their heritage on holy days, holy days like the week of Passover. A meal would sit down, people would sit down at a meal to remember the lamb and remember their deliverance. And so John, seeing him, says, Behold the Lamb of God. The Passover Lamb was more than a symbol of deliverance, and it was more than something to remember that it happened and transpired. But instead, that Lamb on that table, it was a means of deliverance. It was the mark of the blood of the Lamb upon the homes that brought safety. It was that lamb and its sacrifice that made that home safe from an angel. 
blood which the lamb had to die in order to provide. Not just a lamb sacrificed, but the blood of that sacrificial lamb being applied. The application of the blood was essential for the deliverance of the people. You and I, we must have the blood applied to our lives. We must have the blood on our homes and we must have the blood over our going in and our going out. We must have the blood every day. The blood must be applied. And the only place, if you're sitting here and you're listening to me this morning and you're wondering, what does that mean? The only place in the New Testament that tells you about applying that blood is found in Acts chapter 2, 37 through 38, where they said, what shall we do? And Peter answers them, he says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Somehow it was the intent of God that the conception and the concept, excuse me, not conception, the concept of sacrifice should never be far away from Jesus Christ. And you and I must have the blood of that lamb applied on our lives. Let me tell you where the blood is applied. It's applied throughout the process. When you repent, you're pleading for the blood of the Lamb. And when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you're taking on the name and you're taking on the blood of the Lamb. The only blood that can wash away sins is found in the water of baptism. That's when you apply the blood. And when He fills you with His Spirit, that is a stamp of the Lamb being inside of you. It's blood on the outside, the doorposts being applied to your life and it's also the lamb on the inside being consumed and the lamb is everything. The concept of the lamb was ancient going way beyond that Passover meal. The first time in the Bible where the word lamb occurs is in connection with the binding and sacrifice or offering of sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac walking up the mountain to an altar in Genesis 22 and verse 7. He looks at his father and he says, My father, look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? Among the Hebrew people, the lamb was uniquely the animal sacrifice. There was hardly a Jewish sacrifice in which a lamb was not involved. Daily, in the tabernacle and in the temple, in the morning and in the evening, there was a lamb sacrificed. If each new month that would come, according to Numbers 28 and 11, there were seven lambs offered in their first year, without blemish, perfect lambs offered for that new month. All of the Old Testament asks the same question throughout their feasts, throughout their celebrations, throughout their sacrifices in the morning and in the evening and all of the first months. Every time they made a sacrifice of a lamb, they were asking the same question that Isaac had asked walking up that mountain. Where is the lamb? 
We don't have the lamb, and so we have a substitute lamb. We're looking for the lamb. The Old Testament produces the fire and the wood. We have the symbols of the law and fiery judgment, judgment that will come. But it asks, where is the lamb? The prophets, when they speak, they speak repeatedly to the Lamb. The Lamb is coming. But you know, the first time the word Lamb occurs in the New Testament is when John the Baptist reveals him. The last great prophetic messenger of a once great nation sprang from Abraham announces to multitudes that day There is the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb takes away the sins of the world. The Old Testament spends its entire time asking, where is the Lamb? But the New Testament answers immediately, behold, the Lamb. The Old Testament asks one Asking where is the lamb, but the New Testament produces the perfect sacrificial offering by which we all might be set free. Behold the lamb. In all of Apostle John's writings, starting with Gospel of John and the books of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation, John uses lamb to describe Jesus no less than 28 times. He uses that word over and over. Why? Because the lamb is the center of everything. It's the center of it all. It's worth noting that the Apostle John was one of the disciples following John the Baptist when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And he left him to follow that Lamb. What a lingering first impression that lasted a lifetime. Because in his last days writing the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation as you read it, it centers around the Lamb. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1 and 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel and to his servant, John. John recognized immediately the Lamb. Maybe it was because that day, that first day that he saw him and John the Baptist pointed out and said, Behold, the Lamb which comes to take away the sins of the world. Maybe it was because John held that image in his mind for so long that when he gets to the end of his life on the Isle of Patmos and he begins to record what he sees in visions, he recognizes immediately the influence of the Lamb. There is the Lamb in the center of it all. And the Lamb is still influencing. He is influencing our lives today, and that cannot be overstated. Satan stands for the day that he will serve as the counsel for prosecution at the trial of humanity before God. You and I will stand there in judgment, and Satan, the accuser, wants to point his finger at you and say, Lord, you know what they've done. You know the sin that lies with them. Accuser. The word devil comes from the Greek word diabolos. It means slanderer. And Satan itself means adversary or opponent. 
because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and the martyrs, the people, the martyrs are beyond accusation. He stands and he points and he says, they've sinned. He says, I see no sin. I see no sin. And it doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what Satan attempts. It doesn't matter what every demon in hell tries to do. The Lamb will stand victorious. Many will resist the Lamb. But the Lamb shall overcome. Revelation 17 and 14, these will make war with the Lamb. The Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Revelation 7, 13 through 14, one of the elders asked John, what does he see? He says, who are these arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes. Where did they wash those robes? Where did those robes become so white? They were made white in the blood of the Lamb. It seems so unrealistic for a little lamb, a little lamb, pure, perfect, unblemished, to be perceived as a triumphant champion. But behold, behold the triumphant lamb. The Lamb that holds the book of life, Revelation 13 and 8, says all who dwell on the earth will worship Him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He holds the book of life. Everything revolves and centers around the Lamb. In the East, every king and chief had a register of citizens who were living in His kingdom and they were loyal to him. He held on to this book because it was the one book where he could recognize who was with him and who was not with him. The book of life is the register of the citizens of the kingdom of God, and that book belongs to the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb. But the Lamb is not just some figurative thing, it's not something far removed from us. Lamb has relevance. John the Baptist was the son of a priest. His mother was the Levitical, from the Levitical family. And every priest in his day was trained to determine what was an acceptable sacrifice. They could do it almost by just looking at the animal. They were well trained. They had to know. There were so many sacrifices being offered that they had to be quick about their business. It had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. It had to meet all of the regulations. Many lambs in the day were turned away as being unacceptable. 
But John had received some of that training. He had received some of that priestly training and as a prophet that had went out into the wilderness to preach the kingdom and the coming kingdom of God that it was now at hand. He would know an acceptable sacrifice. And so it was upon him that the message fell and the urgency fell to preach repentance. But when he sees the Lamb, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And not just any Lamb, but whose Lamb? Not a Lamb presented by a person. Not a Lamb being brought to God, but the Lamb of of God, the possession of God. For what cause? He was the one who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Now we, we think about that, but we don't fully comprehend that statement. We think, woo, I'm forgiven. I could be forgiven. I celebrate that. But that's not what he was saying. He was saying, here's the one that is responsible to getting this thing done. He is the only one that can and will accomplish this thing. No one else. The words used, taketh away, it's all of the mystery of the atonement is found in those two words. The word arrow, Greek, means to lift up, to raise, also to carry. But it has more than that in its meaning. It doesn't mean just to lift up, to take off, to remove a burden. But it means to take upon oneself. To carry upon oneself what has been lifted. He said, here is one who takes away the sin. Here's the one who, when he picks it up, He's not passing it to anyone else. He is the one who will carry what he has taken away. He will take all of it and he will carry it till it's gone. John's message to repent and deal with sin, a burden, it was a burden that had laid heavily upon him with a sense of urgency and he scorched multitudes of listening consciences with that message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he knew his message of repentance would be inadequate to deal with sin. You can repent, but if there is no payment, what does it matter? But at last he found the burden lifted from his shoulders. Because on that day, a lamb carried away that burden. God chose the meek and gentlest of creatures to carry off the heaviest of weight upon the earth. So heavy a sin that Paul wrote that the whole earth is under the curse of sin and groaning and laboring under its weight and will be delivered because of the Lamb. Romans 8, 21 through 22. The Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. The worst sinner you can imagine. Think of some serial killer that you read a story about. 
that sin, that repeated sin. Think about the atrocities of some dictatorship or evil regime, the Hitlers and Nazis of Germany, any others. That sin takes away the sin of the world. You and I don't understand that kind of power. We can't understand that kind of caring and that kind of concern to take the sin of people that would not turn to Him and carry it. And if the Lamb takes the sin of those, it takes the sin of the world. Don't think that He cannot carry whatever sin you're dealing with. Don't think that He can't take upon Himself the burden that you walk with. Don't think that he can't take upon himself whatever thing has been passed down to you. Don't think that he can't take upon himself the thing that's ravaging your family right now. Don't think that he can't handle what's going on in your world because he already picked it up. He already carried it upon himself. He's already shed the blood. He's already done it. 1 Peter 1, 18-19, Peter wrote, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, He carried whatever you're facing. Your sin... Your shame, your aimless conduct, your wandering, your confusion, your chaos, your trauma, your hurts, your wounds, your broken spirit, and your broken heart. Whatever it is, whatever your father passed on to you, whatever your mother gave down to you, whatever you're afraid of passing on to your children, whatever it is, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. I feel the presence of the Lord here right now very strong, and I'm going to conclude really quickly. The lamb is able to carry whatever it is. Whatever it is, the lamb can carry it. Praise to the lamb. A lamb slain from the foundation who knew what you would need, who knew what you would face, who knew what sin would be in your life, who knew what shame you didn't feel like you could overcome, who knew God's lamb. You can't fashion a lamb like God's. You can't attempt. Oh, I feel the presence of God here so strong right now. I feel like some burdens need to be lifted. I feel like
I feel like there's an anointing flowing in this place that God is wanting to touch somebody's wounded spirit and heart right now. Something you've been holding on to and carrying for so long. God is wanting to take that thing and lift that burden and you need to let it go. You need to let go of it. You need to let that lamb carry lifted off of you that sin and that shame. You need to let him have it. If you'll stand with me. Oh God, oh God, you see us. You see your people. You see the hidden places, the dark places, the things we hide from everyone else, the things we try to conceal under the facade of everything's okay, it's perfect, life is good. You see those dark, lonely nights where tears cover our pillows and sleepless nights where we look at the conundrum of life and we say, God, how... Am I going to get through this? And we pray those secret prayers that no one else knows that we've prayed to you. God, I pray that right now the Spirit of God that's in this place would touch those weights and those burdens, those sins that we carry, that we try to push down and conceal, God, that you would begin to lift them up. God, give us the strength to surrender them to you. Touch us right now in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. This is what we're going to do, church family. They're going to begin to sing. I want to invite everyone that is here to come to the front. Let's trust God. Bring that burden with you, whatever baggage, whatever sin, whatever shame, bring it. And you just simply offer it to the Lord. And whatever way that you can, you just begin to offer it to the Lord. Maybe it's lifting it up to God with lifting your hands. Maybe it's finding a chair in the front row and kneeling. Whatever you feel comfortable with, but you begin to unburden yourself and unload yourself. The lamb can carry it. The lamb can handle it. The lamb was built for this. That's it. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord.